Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the newest episode of Strategies and Consequences and our series on war. I can't wait to learn along with you all about the past strategies and their dire consequences in history and their impact on society today. So let's get into today's episode on the Battle of Kadesh. The Fertile Crescent had changed a lot following Tutmos III's victory over King Darusha of Kadesh in 1456 BC. So 200 years later, roughly, by the time Ramses II ascended the throne as the pharaoh of Egypt of the 19th dynasty in 1279 BC, there was a new empire in the Fertile Crescent for the Egyptian empire to be facing. It was the Hittite Empire, or Hittiti, I've heard it multiple ways. The Hittites were a powerful empire that had emerged from the old Mitanni confederation that Tutmose III had pushed beyond the west bank of the Euphrates. Okay, keep that in mind from our last episode. The difference, though, is that the Mitanni were far weaker. They relied mainly on a confederation of various city-states in northern Iraq and Turkey. But the Hittite Empire was centralized. It centralized in north, it's really northeastern Turkey, and it spread into present-day Syria, which I'm going to be calling the Levant, which includes Palestine, Israel, and these other parts of, uh, of the western Fertile Crescent. And it had expanded to take the fortified city of Kadesh, which was the city that Tutmose III laid siege to, and a site that Ramses' father, the I was unable to take back. So Ramses II had likely been educated in the strategies and the history of his ancestor, Tutmose III. And he realized that he could not only, he could use the, the field in front of Kadesh and the taking back of the city as not, a, not, not just a way to repulse this growing threat to his Egyptian empire, but also establish his legacy as one of Egypt's great warrior pharaohs. If he could seize the city taken by his ancestor and beat the, uh, beat the Hittite empire and prove to everyone, prove to historians essentially that he could, um, that he could hold back against this empire, his legacy would be ensured. And I think something that's very difficult to do, difficult to avoid in ancient history is that a lot of historical documents definitely appear to ascribe to this great man theory of history. And that's essentially that these great men, either pharaohs, kings, generals, they're the ones directing the show. And people are simply pawns at their whim, being forced along. And it's something that can't be glorified. It can't be stated more, stated more sternly that no one's life should be used as a pawn for political means or for establishing a legacy. Um, but unfortunately, the, the power of the pharaoh in Egypt and his status as his or her status, because like, like I said last episode, we had Queen Hatshepsut, who expanded the empire to some of its greatest extents before Tutmos. The first inclination is to ascribe to this theory. So I'm going to really try and combat that as much as I can and say that Ramses definitely had this vision of himself. He thought that he could just levy his levy, as I'm about to say, levy 18,000 farmers and have his 2,000 strong chariot corps, levy them immediately and send them off to war. And 
really just use them for his means. Um, there's a reason that presently the United States Army and the Armed Forces swears allegiance to the Constitution. It's because they should be serving the people and the citizens of the United States. They should not be at the whims of any one government that should that can shift, that can turn against the will of the people. It's something that's established in the Constitution and has been established through... Um, it, it's been an established part of our history. And as I'm about to say, a lot of these ancient battles really underline the... Um, the reason why we need this separation. No one leader should have the ability to just lead an army into the capital, take over, or just send people to their deaths. So let's continue. Um, Ramses decided this would be, this could be the hallmark of his, of his monarchy, of his legacy. So he levied 18,000 farmers and he had 2,000 chariots um, and he started marching up the coast. Like Egyptian armies were created essentially on a whim like this. You would you would go into each village and say, if you're not working right now on a farm, if currently like the harvest season is going to be coming in a few months, hopefully we'll be back by then. That's that's basically what it would be. Just gather every able-bodied man who was not working on a farm and just march on off. So Ramses divided these forces into 4,500 soldiers and 500 chariots and put... Um, these 5,000 um, soldier groups into divisions. He named the divisions after um, gods of the Egyptian pantheon, Amun, Ptah, Ra, and Sutek. Um, some historians claim that he did this because there was really low morale amongst his troops. Like, they didn't really want to be going to war. You know, geez, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> and... Others are just like, he wanted to further establish this legendary status of the battle um, by, na- by giving each division, uh, like, basically godly support. So that's up to you guys to uh, look in the show notes, you know, check out the sources, read up a little bit more for yourselves. Um, he also held his own personal guard of chariots in reserve. He also hired some mercenaries that would land on the Levantine coast um, in present day like Lebanon and march towards Kadesh. So on the other end, the king of the Hittites, Muatalis, was able to put together roughly 20,000 soldiers and 3,000 chariots. Um, His chariots were unlike Egyptian chariots. Egyptian chariots were a lot more unstable, a lot faster because they relied on horses and they carried far more archers. They were really, as I described in the previous episode, they were used as tanks. Like, you would just send Egyptian chariot divisions to smash through the enemy lines. Other Asian empires of this time period used more sturdy chariots with mules. And this because, like, the mules could travel for a lot longer. They weren't as fast as horses, but they were far more, um, far more, like, steady and reliable um, animal to be using, I guess you could say. Yeah, so Muatalis had the numerical advantage. Um, like, the, the, the sources vary, but some people say, you know, the Egyptians had it. Some uh, some say that the Hittites had it. 
the issue is that we're relying on sources that are tablets or writings that are at this point 4,000 years old. So, and this is still one of the better recorded battles in uh, ancient history. So, we'll do what we can. Muatalis、um, sent two spies to give false information to Ramses, and the two spies claimed that Muatalis' forces were still in Aleppo, in present-day Syria, to the northwest. So, imagine being Ramses at this point. He has his army divided into four divisions. They're not all linked up. They're actually very far apart as they're marching up, up the coast. Up from Sinai, up from the Sinai Peninsula, and into the Levant, and he's thinking now: if he's if Muatalis and the Hittite forces are in Aleppo, he can easily rush to Kadesh, quickly besiege the city, take it over, and then by the time Muatalis arrives, he'll have to be attacking a, a walled city, which is very difficult at this time. So, Ramses rushes into the trap. He rushes only in with the division of Ra and Amon and his bodyguards. Rushes to Kadesh, sets up camp, and is ready to besiege the city the next day.、Um, unknown to him, though, Muatalis' forces have been at Kadesh, and they're hiding on the other end of the city in complete silence. Essentially, their camp is. Built on the on the on the eastern side of Kadesh, while Ramses is on the west, and they're basically wait, laying in wait for the morning. So there are these two forces are on a collision course on the field outside of Kadesh, and you have a, this this struggle for Ramses for for his for his legacy, excuse me, and Muatalis trying to expand the hit this new like fledgling empire, and like all the battles that we will discuss. People caught in the middle are the soldiers and the civilians in the town of Kadesh and on the ground. So we'll be right back after much from our sponsor. Thanks so much. All right, and we're back. So last we left, Ramses's forces are, count,、uh, are camped in the northwest of Kadesh, and the division of Amon. Arrived a little bit later, so now is the divisions of Ra, Amon, and his bodyguard unit. Okay, and Muatalis is meanwhile his forces are hid behind Kadesh on the east, and the next morning they sprung their trap. So Ramses sent his two divisions with the division of Ra approaching from the southeast, with the with the division of Amon right behind it, and his little bodyguard unit is behind them. You know, for the protection of the pharaoh, whatever. So Muatalis had the advantage here that his soldiers were better trained. They had they hadn't recently taken Kadesh, but they were prepared to.、Uh, they had been. This empire was very newly expanded, so it was he had had it in the field for a while. Unlike Ramses's forces, keep in mind they were literally farmers beforehand that he conscripted. So he.、Uh, Excuse me. Muatalis attacked the raw division, and they were immediately thrown into disarray. They had no idea that they were there, that that the Hittite forces were were ready for them. They were ready to besiege the city, so they were routed. And all these running soldiers, running farmers, as they're being cut down 
by the Hittite forces. Imagine being on that battlefield. It's it's a horrifying. It's a very horrifying thing to imagine. You're running away because you had no idea that there would be chariots from the enemy coming at you. So they run into the division of Amon, and that throws them into disarray as well. And a message that I'm going to try and find the quote and put it in the show notes. Um, but a characteristic of ancient battles is that you win the battle first, and then they would often keep cavalry around to literally slaughter the rest of the enemy. Surrender was rarely an option. It was, it was really a. I'm sorry. Yeah, this it's it's very emotional because it's like there was very little option for surrender, and it's it really kind of it really proves that that we need as we need some sort of laws and dictates on the battlefield because otherwise the instinct of these generals and these pharaohs and these kings and queens is to push their soldiers to literally slaughter the enemy so that there will not be another force to fight them the next day so muatala starts sending his forces to just do a mass slaughter of the of the egyptian forces um let me know if you'd like to hear about how the laws of warfare like the geneva conventions were passed um they actually happened after a horrible battle called the Battle of Solferino. And if you'd like me to cover that in another episode, in a, in a special episode, just let me know. Send me a voice message, comment on our new Instagram, which I'll be plugging at the end of this. So, wars are horrible. Let's, let's make that very clear. And back when these kings thought that they, that their people were their pawns, and even now, you know, dictators think that the army, their armies are, are there to serve only them. Things like this will happen, where the rights and the humanity gets thrown to the side in the pursuit of this, like, of a total victory. So Ramses realizes that he's about to lose this battle, and he might even lose his life. So he charges his personal guard into the battlefield, and he draws the remaining, like, the remainders of, like, the division of Amon and the division of Ra behind him. He's like, just charges heads, heads, heads forth into the battle. This is according to many of the Egyptian sources. So um, we, we don't exactly know how factual his account is. A lot of the temple drawings um, and temple murals are really make this a very one-sided battle for the Egyptians. Like they, they, they do describe that there was a route, but they also describe that Ramses carried the day afterwards and, you know, just completely swept them. So as you'll see, it was a lot more complicated than that. So at the same time that he's charging in, the division of Ta and those mercenaries show up and they attack the Hittites in the flank. So the battle after this was deemed to be a draw and what was evident, though, was that this was it was a pure like meat grinder situation. Horrible wholesale, like slaughtering with the chariots uh, by the Hittites, ramming into the the forces of the Egyptians, and then the Egyptian forces attacking them from the flank. So, at the end of the day, both forces basically limped off of the battlefield, and 
decide to end the battle. Ramses didn't take Kadesh, Motalas didn't really expand any farther, and 16 years later, a peace treaty was uh, was signed. And it's actually the earliest recorded peace treaty in history that was signed. And we actually, I can't say we, um, I'm, I'm no historian, I'm um, just an avid reader of books, basically. Um, museums across, uh, across the world have copies of um, of the clay murals from both Hittite um, Hittite sources and Egyptian temples that each have the same account of these peace treaties, um, and it established both empires recognizing each other's sovereignty and their borders. And after this, Ramses Ramses goes on to be seen as one of the greatest pharaohs in Egyptian history. He erected many monuments, like the famous temple at Abu Simbel. And at Luxor, with these magnificent, like, like gigantic statues of himself, with like, with a ceremonial beard, and the ceremonial uh, crowns, which I would love to talk to, you, uh, to talk to you all more about. Um, let me know what you'd like to hear more about. So that's that's pretty much the Battle of Kadesh and its aftermath, the strategies and consequences that brought it um, brought it together. And the horrible um, calamity that occurred um, during the battle. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, I hope you list you like listening to the episode. I know all of these are going to be fairly gruesome, but I, it's necessary to mention because we will only be able to move towards a more a more peaceful world by understanding the horrifying history that we have and the way that it's often repeated itself. And it is also fascinating to understand how far human history stretches back and also how horrifying it is that warfare has been such a large part of our history. And once you delve into our collective history, you'll start to discover that our mistakes are not new and that we have many things to learn by looking at the strategies and consequences of our past. I'm your host, George, and I'll see you next time. Thanks. Hi, everyone. It's your host, George. If you have any comments, suggestions, or any um, anything you want to send me about the episodes that you've been listening to, you can reach out to me on our website, strategiesconsequences.com, or on Instagram, where I'll be posting some more updates about the show, Strategies Consequences, on Instagram as well. Uh, thanks for listening. Bye.